to Lead Croydon Jubilee Church and it is great to have you. We have started a series in the book of Judges and John said last week this is not a very well trodden book in the Bible, certainly not for a Sunday morning sermon series, certainly not for a Sunday morning sermon series when we have youth in the room. Um, And um, I get to share on our first judge this morning. I'll be talking to you about Ehud. And um, if you have ever in your life, or just today, felt that you haven't responded as well as you could have in any situation, or if you have ever felt, do you know, actually, I'm not sure it is God's will that I'm wanting to be done. I think that in this situation, I've been wanting my will to be done. I've been working for my will to be done. And if you think, actually, I want, I want more than that, God. I want what you want for me. Then this passage, strangely, is full of hope for you. And I hope to uh, convince you of that by the end of our time together this morning. And if we're all honest, I think that we would recognise that what I've just said is probably true of us more often than we care to admit. That, that, that quite often we do behave in ways where we're thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about you know, our, our desires, rather than what might God want for us here? What might God be leading me to do? At the bottom of the page of the Bible reading plan that some of us are doing together in 2022, I've written four questions to consider as we read. One of them is, what does this passage tell us about God? And then the second is, what does this passage tell us about people? What does God say about us? What does God's word say about us? Because although the Bible is primarily about God revealing himself to us, he also uses his word to shine a light on us and on our hearts when we don't know him. You know, he tells us what humans are like without him. He also shines a light on what happens to us as his people when we take our eyes off of him. And as we read the Old Testament, we are getting more than just a history of God interacting with his people. We have this wonderful picture in story form of the journey that we're on as well, from uh, slavery to sin and to entering into eternal life. And although we are uh, justified before God to use theological language, we are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. We are justified before God, but also sanctification is happening daily. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another into increasing Christ-likeness. And both things are true, and both things need to be held in tension. And knowing our hearts as God tells us they are, is a blessing to us. It's a blessing to us to be able to see what it is, that, what, what kind of uh, routes we might veer off onto when we leave uh, the narrow path that God would lead us on. I go to a life group. We are working through Freedom in Christ. And on Wednesday, we started session three on what is God's, uh, sorry, what's the world's view of truth? And the key passage 
uh, as we started session three, was Romans 12, verse 2, that says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you will be able to discern the perfect, acceptable will of God. There is a, there is a pattern that this world seeks to conform us to. And it isn't passive in it. It's not, it's not just for us to, you know, you know it, it's for us to actively not be conformed to it. If we are not actively resisting the conforming, if we are not actively, actively pursuing transformation, we will be conformed to the pattern of the world. And so we have to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And in order to not be conformed, and in order to be transformed, we need to know what it is that we're not being conformed to, and we need to know what it is that we are being transformed into. And so God's word comes to us as a gift, and judges, as hard as it is, comes to us as a gift, because one of the things that it does is it reveals our hearts. It reveals the places that we go when we take our eyes off of Jesus. Now before we read today's passage and look at the story of Ehud, uh, I just want to read one verse to you from uh, chapter 2 of Judges, chapter 2 verse 10, and it says this, and it's an important verse. We have to get this verse in order to understand Ehud's story and even the stories that we will continue to look at through this series. It says, after Joshua died, all that generation were gathered to their fathers. So Joshua and his generation, they have all passed away, they've gone to be with their fathers, and then it says this, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. It's important that we remember that as we look at this story. We are looking at a generation of the people of Israel, God's people, a generation of the people of Israel who have forgotten God. They, they are no longer, they don't know him anymore and they're not uh, remembering the works that he has done. We have to remember that as we look at this. So please turn with me to Judges chapter 3 verses 12 to 30. Matthew, I'm really sorry I didn't put it in. Um, I'll uh, stall for a little moment if you want to, but I'm just going to carry on reading. So Judges chapter 3 verses 12 to 30. And I'm going to read all of it because this passage is full of hope. Do you believe me? It's full of hope. Uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 30. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab, and Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes." And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. 
It's full of hope, this passage. (laughs) And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded, silence! And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came uh, to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat, and Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly. And the excrement came out. Full of hope, this passage. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he, when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sierra. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 40 years. Sorry, for 80 years. For 80 years. Wow. You can see why we don't preach through the book of Judges very often, can't you? This is brutal stuff. And as John told us last week, just because it's written in the Bible, it doesn't mean that God has decreed or approved this. It's important that we remember that this is a generation who don't know the Lord or the works that he had done. Before I explain why I think this passage genuinely is full of hope for us, I want to, um, I want to look at Ehud quite critically, um, possibly negatively, because, as I say, this is a generation who have forgotten God. This is a generation who they've taken their eyes off of him. John talked to us last week, didn't he, about this being about the Canaanization of Israel, that they have become like the people around them. I think if that weren't true, Ehud might have approached Eglon very differently. I want to ask you to consider how Moses approached Pharaoh when the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, how totally transparent he was, how gentle and patient he was, how he just entered the presence of Pharaoh, passed on the message from God, watched Pharaoh harden his heart, but left it to God, left it to God to deliver them. 
You know, if Moses, if God delivered the people of Israel when they were in slavery in Egypt, not by power, not by might, but by his Holy Spirit, then in today's story we've got Ehud delivering the people of Israel by might, by power, but let's say that it was God. Let's say that it was God. God raised Ehud up in response to the people's cries. But in a generation that's forgotten God, that doesn't know him and that's forgotten his works, who, again, have done evil in the sight of the Lord, you wonder whether it was a cry of turning back to God or was it just a cry of, we're not happy with this. We don't want the world to be the way it is right now. We want it to be different and we're going to ask you, but really, we don't really care about you. We just think you might help. I wonder what was going on. And if that is the picture of the human condition, and I do get to the really hopeful bit soon, (laughs) if that is the picture of the human condition, I see me, I see you, I see us. As I say, if this is a story that can be uh, a metaphor for the spiritual journey that we are on, then we find, don't we, that things come our way and they threaten the way that we uh, want the world to be ordered. They threaten the way that we want the world to be, and so we stick the knife in, in response. We, we, we use our own power. We don't trust in God to save us. We save ourselves because we don't like what's going on. We're threatened by it, and we stick the knife in. You know, this thing, whatever it is, it's a threat to my self-chosen identity. You know, I'm a pastor. I'm a social action person. And this thing, it, it threatens the way I want to be and operate. And I stick the knife in, in defence of myself. I wonder if, if you can agree with that. I wonder if you think that's harsh. I wonder if you don't see that in people. Gospel is an offence, isn't it? Abby prayed this morning. We do not deserve it. We deserve the fear and judgment that was on us. And yet God, being rich in love, has lavished us with mercy. He's made us children of God. And now we get what we don't deserve. And we enjoy it and we love it and we thank him for it. So I think we might be able to say, with a, with a possibly too negative point of view of Ehud, I think Ehud's actions might have been self-serving. I think it may just be that he was someone who was intelligent enough and cunning enough and powerful enough and skilled just enough to do what he needed to do to see the world be ordered the way he wanted it to be ordered again. But that cunning, that, that kind of, that I will protect myself is not found in God, is it? You know, consider Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when uh, he was arrested and Peter struck out with a sword. He didn't stick a knife in, he swung a sword and he chopped off the ear of one of the guards who had come to arrest Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, that is not how we do things anymore and he reaches out and he heals the guard 
and heals his ear that's been chopped off. He says, this isn't how we do it. And he says to those people who have come to arrest him, I've been in the synagogues with you all day and you didn't seize me and now you come against me like a robber with swords and clubs. That isn't what Ehud does, isn't what Moses did, isn't what Jesus did. Now, as God's people, we are patient in trials, aren't we? Rejoicing always, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile in the knowledge that God is working all things for good, trusting that he's got this, that he's got us, and that he doesn't need us to fight his battles. He needs us to trust him. He needs us to believe him. He needs us to act in faith. He doesn't need us to stick the knife in on his behalf. So is Ehud a villain or a hero? (laughs) I've just offered quite a negative uh, view of him and his actions, but uh, it's worth mentioning as well, Ehud is not one of the judges listed in the book of Hebrews as a hero of the faith. He's not. Let's look at Ehud more positively, though, because I really do, despite everything I've just said, I really do think that this passage is a hopeful one for us. I really do. Let's look at Ehud more positively. Ehud was raised up by God. God heard the cry of the people of Israel, and whether they were turning to him or not, he was faithful to them. Even though they are a generation who have forgotten him and forgotten his works and again done what was evil in the sight of the Lord, he has remained faithful to them. That's good news for us. God remains faithful to us forever and always, no matter what. He raised up Ehud, a Benjaminite, one of the smallest tribes in all of Israel, a left-handed man. I'm a left-handed man. Any left-handers here? Isn't the world a cruel place for us? We can't use a pair of scissors without breaking our thumbs. We can't write with fountain pens. It is a cruel place. But it turns out that Ehud wasn't just a man who could overcome that sort of adversity. Scissors and fountain pens. It turns out that because Ehud was left-handed, he was perfectly skilled to pull off that assassin move that he pulled off against King Eglon. People trained for war are trained to fight against right-handers not against left-handers. Ehud was the perfect man to save Israel. He outwits the foolish king and his stupid courtiers. He leaves them with egg on their face, doesn't he? He walks off laughing at what he has achieved, how he has uh, beaten them. One. So I don't know if Ehud is a Um, is a uh, hero or a villain. He leads the people of Israel to a great victory. 10,000 Moabite people. You know, he goes to the people of Israel hiding in the hill country. He calls them out. He leads them. They win an amazing victory against 10,000 able-bodied men of Moab. Wow. (laughs) He has delivered them. He has delivered them and they enjoy a period 
of peace. I am going to let you decide if Ehud is a hero or a villain, but we can learn three things that I think are amazing uh, good news for us and that we can be very hopeful because of. One thing that we learn is that when we take our eyes off of God and we are unfaithful, he remains faithful to us. You can never stray too far from him that he will not save you, that he does not love you, he will not be there for you. No matter how far we stray, he is faithful. He has uh, made a covenant promise to us. He will never forsake us. He is faithful. We can take courage. We can be comforted from this passage as we see that. We learn that God brings victory from unusual places. A Benjaminite. Not just a Benjaminite, a left-handed Benjaminite. How wonderful is that, that God brings victory from unusual and unexpected places. So we can sit here, and I can stand here, and we can think, I don't feel like I can take over the world. I don't feel like I'm really God's chosen person to see the kingdom of God advance, he says, no, I have chosen you. There are victories that I want to win through you. If I can do it through a left-handed Benjaminite, I can do it through you. God wants to win wonderful victories in your life and in the lives of the people around you because he has chosen you and because he brings victory from unusual places. Right. Where am I? Where's the third thing? That wasn't it. Third thing. (laughs) Sorry, I missed it there. Um, Not only does God bring victory through unusual places, we see again that God works his perfect plan through imperfect people. So if you feel like you're just a left-handed Benjaminite, what can I do? God God brings victory from unusual places. He works his perfect plan out through imperfect people. You can take confidence from that. And so as you and I look at our lives together in the coming months and years as Croydon Jubilee Church, and as you look at your life with God, you can have confidence you can be bold, you can, you can be comforted in the knowledge that God is faithful, that no matter how weak or insignificant you might feel, that he has chosen that he will work his perfect plan out through imperfect people. Um, I'm just going to take a moment to just tell you, we're, we're going to have a family meeting at some point, probably end of February, beginning of March. We haven't set a date yet. The reason we haven't set a date yet is because we don't have a budget to present to you yet. We're working on the budget for the coming year um, as elders and as trustees. Uh, well, the trustees don't know that yet because um, they, they don't know what, what um, I'm uh, planning. Um, making swords and strapping them to my thighs. Um, we, we are, we're, we're making a budget for the coming year and we want to share that with you and we want to talk about some of the things on our heart for the year ahead. And, um, and I really want to encourage you to be praying about one uh, specific thing 
um, in advance of that meeting, there is going to be, we're going to, we are going, we haven't prayed. I know there are still a handful of people praying at 5pm on Zoom, probably most days still, but as a church, um, we haven't prayed together for a very long time. We're going to pray together as a church off the back of this family meeting. I'm going to share some things that uh, are in the sort of pipeline, potentially, and we're going to pray together. But I want to ask you to pray for, uh, for, for one thing particularly, and that is this building that God has given us, because we have been on a, uh, we have been on a journey with it, we continue to be on a journey with it, and the, the way ahead is still not totally clear. And to be quite honest, we, we want to see God raising up left-handed Benjaminites. We want to see... Uh, unexpected things happening here. Last year, uh, God raised up Yvonne, and Yvonne gathered a team. I know you don't like me doing this, Yvonne. Yvonne gathered a team. The team were amazing. The team did a great job at Yvonne's uh, leadership, and we had Every Life Tells a Story, and it was brilliant. And I wonder if God will be laying anything on your hearts, whether it's ideas or whether it's things that you want to actually work out, whether it's things as simple as a book club or whether it is whole ministries aimed at serving the community, perhaps, uh, perhaps Christians Against Poverty, perhaps job clubs, who knows. Uh, however, we might be able to use this building to bless the community. We really believe that's why God has given us this space. Croydon Jubilee Church, we're the people. This is a resource that God has given us. We want to use it well. So please be praying about that. Um, and, and, and I want to I specifically ask, would you pray for me? Would you pray for Cotty? Would you pray for Angie? Would you pray for the elders and trustees as we journey this decision? And please pray that if God would lay anything on your heart, that you would be bold to step up, whether that is to, as I say, to talk about it, to see if other people can help you put legs on it, or whether it is um, to just do it yourself. We would love to do that. I want to leave you with one question before I pray, though, to go back to this sermon, because if, if one of the things that this passage shows us is that God's grace is, really is amazing. He, he really does work through imperfect people. He really does allow imperfect things to happen, and his kingdom is still advanced. It, like, it boggles the mind, doesn't it? You know, why would God allow it? He does. Why does God let this stuff happen? He does. Somehow he works it all for good. It doesn't really make sense. But how can we live with this knowledge that if I'm right and if Ehud is a picture of our hearts when we take our eyes off Jesus, how can we live by the strength of our convictions if it's possible that we are wrong? Is it possible to do that or do we just flop and do nothing for fear that we might make a mistake? And I want to ask if, if there is a third way. If we can cultivate humble hearts that live according to conviction, but recognise that we might be wrong, so that we can be compassionate and we can be understanding and we can help other people so that we can deal gently with each other when the temptation is to put the knife in, as Ehud did. Let's pray. Ben, shall we come up? I'm going to join you in a moment. I am going to pray, and then I'll join you. Let's, uh... yeah, no, come on, yeah, 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 yeah. 
you know, if I could leave you with anything, it would be with the three lessons. I've presented a negative picture of Ehud, and I think we need to live with that tension as we go through the book of Judges. But the, the amazing news is God is faithful. He brings victory from unusual places, and he works his perfect plan out through imperfect people. And I want you to take that away today. I want you to be encouraged as well that people like Ehud and not perfect examples are in the Bible. God's not hiding anything, is he? It is a warts and all relationship that he enjoys with us. And that's okay. So we mustn't come under any condemnation as we consider whether or not we aren't perfect. We're not. Um, but we can, we can take confidence that he's working in us. That as we consciously do not be conformed, that he is actively transforming us as we partner with him in that journey to renew our minds and to become more and more like him. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to get behind the drums and we're going to worship together. Father, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you really have presented a warts and all account of how you uh, have lived with your people. We see everything. We see the depths of depravity. We see everything that is in the human heart. And yet we see a God who loved us so much that he sent his only son, not to condemn us, but to save us. And so, Father, would you work in our hearts? Lord, we love you and we want to worship you. And so, Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit, would you allow us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Lord, but would you transform us by the renewal of our mind. Father, I pray that uh, those, those responses in us that used to come so naturally because they were our natural responses, Lord, I pray that they would be less and less in our lives and that those godly responses that you call us to would become more and more our first reactions in situations. Father, I thank you that you work through imperfect people. I thank you that you work in unexpected ways. So I pray, Holy Spirit, would you let us wrestle with this tension this week. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts because we remember your faithfulness, because we remember your grace, that we are not perfect that sometimes we do stick the knife in, but that you are at work all the same, that you love us all the same, that you are working out your plans in this earth through us all the same. Come by your spirit and lead us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, Yeah, and as Neil just comes up, it's reminded me very heavily of the scripture in 1 John which says, If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us and lead us in righteousness. I believe it's something like that. But um, yeah, cool. Um,